Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. Welcome to Connection Point. Welcome to those joining us online. I'm Pastor Zach, showing us service lead pastors here. So glad you've joined us today on this Labor Day weekend. It's been a great week at Connection Point. Uh, So four years ago on this weekend, our family came to share about missions in the Middle East. And uh, yeah, I remember that. That's right. We won't ever forget it uh, because that changed the trajectory of our lives forever. So we came really just to talk about missions in the Middle East, and we went to lunch, and and Pastor Ted, at the request of uh, some of the leadership that was here, asked if we would consider putting our names in to serve as lead pastors here, Uh, and that uh, that was quite a question to grapple with. And so we loaded up our family after lunch, we're driving back to Missouri where we were staying at the time, I turned to ask Shelly, I said, what do you think about that question? And she said, well, I feel like there's a rubber band attached to the back end of our truck, and it's pulling us backwards. And I just thought, oh, man. I asked the question, because I really already knew the answer. You ever knew God's will, but you still had to wrestle through it? Walk with Jesus a little while, you will. That's just part and parcel of following him. And, you know, it's interesting. I've had lots of conversations with people who have asked the question, you know, what's God's will for my life? But here's what I have found. Now, having had that conversation with many people, it's not so much that people don't know God's will, it's that they kind of get an inclination and they're realizing it's bigger than they can do and harder maybe than they like it to be. So they're just trying to really ask the question, how am I supposed to do this? You ever been there? You kind of get a sense of, you know what God's will is, but you're kind of, oh, I don't know, God, how is this supposed to happen? Well, I got news for you. That's probably God's will because he always gives us something bigger than ourselves. And there's a reason. It's because he wants us dependent on him all along the way. He so desperately wants a relationship with you. And so he puts before us things bigger than ourselves. I actually think because God likes to show off. He likes to show up and show off. And because people usually say, how in the world did that person do that? God's like, Yeah, that was me. (laughs) That's the way he works. So then the question really is, well, when we understand maybe or get an inclination of of what is God's will, how do we do it? How do we have the ability to fulfill God's will, even when it's hard? And the passage that we're going to jump into today as we get back into our series in Luke, what we find is Jesus too. I think we miss this sometimes. We get so familiar with Bible passages, but Jesus himself struggled in following God's will. That's something for us to really consider this morning. He struggled, but he still did it. And so the question is, well, how did he accomplish that? So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you do have God's word with you. We say that because we want you daily in God's word. Uh, What we're going to do is jump back into Luke in Luke chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 39. I'll invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. And the setting to kind of help us remember where we're at in Luke is Jesus has just had this 
final meal with his disciples. He's been talking with them, giving them final instructions. And it's during the Passover time in Jerusalem, so there's this swell of people that are in Jerusalem. So they're, they need to find a place to stay. So they've had the, the Last Supper in this upper room area, but now they're headed out of that upper room, and that's where we find ourselves. It says, and he came out and went. So came out of the upper room and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. So he's traveling outside of the city gates to a place called the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So we left off in Luke a couple of weeks ago talking about how followers of Jesus, they are different than people who do not follow Jesus. And there's a reason for that. Because when we make a decision to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters into our life and he begins to change us from the inside out. And that's real change. And the kinds of changes that occur is, for those who follow Jesus, they they start to have a natural inclination, a desire to serve others. That's not natural, that's supernatural. To have a desire to not just serve yourself, but to want to serve others. But the other characteristic of those who follow Jesus is, is they also are okay to understand I have to be dependent upon Jesus in life. Like, they don't have to do everything on their own. They understand I need to be yoked to King Jesus if I expect to, to live life well. And the other thing that followers of Jesus do is they don't fear rejection or opposition. They simply serve God, they're faithful to him, they operate out of a good heart, and they leave the results up to God. So that's different. That looks different than, than those who don't follow Jesus. Disciples of Jesus know they must have supernatural strength to fulfill God's will for their lives. In our passage this morning, it shows us how we can have that supernatural strength. We find from our passage today to have supernatural strength, prayer must be a habit. To have supernatural strength, prayer must be a habit in our lives. After Jesus spends time with disciples in Jerusalem, he has a final meal with them, as we shared, and he gives them some final instructions. He's talking with them as they're leaving the city, and they go to a place called the Mount of Olives. And so what is this place? What is the Mount of Olives? So we're taking a a group of people to Israel in March, and we'll go visit these places. So where this picture is taken, I want you to understand where the Mount of Olives is, and we'll kind of give you some different vantage points. So I'm actually on the western side of the old city. I'm standing on a place called David's Citadel, and I snapped this picture. And that picture, so behind what's the Dome of the Rock, on that hillside, that's the Mount of Olives, where the towers are, and where all of those tombstones are. So that's the Mount of Olives. Now let me show you from the flip side. This is if you're standing on the Mount of Olives, the tombs are below you, of people who have been buried there. It's a cemetery. And across the city is Jerusalem. In between the Mount of Olives and where the old city is, is called the Kidron Valley. And down in where is kind of the Kidron Valley, but where the Mount of Olives is, is the place that we like to call the Garden of Gethsemane. So you can go and visit this place as well. 
Uh, with these kinds of locations, you don't know exactly where it was that Jesus was, but you, know, you have the general vicinity and general area of where he's at. So I want you to understand a bit of where Mount of Olives is, because I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. Because the location does matter. And the implications of who Jesus was and how he loved the Father, how he loved us. Uh, because there's some interesting information as it relates to what Jesus did and what he was praying and what he could have done had he not wanted to follow the Father and his will for his life. So Garden of Gethsemane, it says that this was a place he frequented. If you're familiar with the passage in John chapter 3 where Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, it's understood that conversation probably took someplace in the Garden of Gethsemane, that this was a place that Jesus would frequent, that he would go. But here's what's also important. This night is not the only night that we find Jesus in prayer. Prayer was the regular habit of our Savior. If you read the New Testament books of Luke, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all throughout, you see Jesus had a habit of prayer. You read Mark chapter 1. This is the very first chapter. It says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. We look at Luke chapter 5, and it says that Jesus withdrew to the wilderness. Did he sometimes? Did he occasionally? What's it say? He often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Prayer was a habit for Jesus. It's what sustained him. It's what enabled him to fulfill the mission that was for him to do. And I would say, if Jesus, the Son of God, needed to pray, how much more do we need to make sure we're people of prayer? That it's a habit in our lives. To have supernatural strength to live the extraordinary life Jesus has for us, we must make prayer a habit in our lives. So I would encourage us, let's make prayer a priority. Let's follow the example of Jesus. Rise early in the morning. Start your day in prayer. No better way to start your day than in a posture of prayer. And I would encourage you, pray throughout your day. While you're driving, instead of listening to the radio, pray. Doing dishes. Take time to pray. You'll be less angry about it. There's lots of times that you could pray. Preparing meals. There are lots of spaces in your day that you could dedicate to prayer. And it'll change your life. Because to have supernatural strength, prayer must be a habit. And why is that? Why is it that prayer is what gives us supernatural strength? There's a reason. Because supernatural strength comes from heaven. There's a source for supernatural strength. It comes from heaven. And the significance of the place where Jesus prayed this faithful night is that he prays in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, Luke doesn't say that. He just says the Mount of Olives. But if you look at Matthew, a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 26, here's what Matthew writes. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. So same incident, a few more details. We know he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what's interesting is we know that there was an olive press in this garden because the word Gethsemane is literally translated as olive press. And what's interesting about Jesus' prayer in this area is this was a place of pressing for Jesus. We see that in this prayer. Here's what it says, Father, if you are willing, talk about a place of pressing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done not mine. What a prayer. And I would say that these verses are both encouraging, but also very challenging this morning. 
They're encouraging because even Jesus struggles with the will of the Father. If you have ever struggled, if you are right now struggling with God's will for your life, you're in good company. The Son of God struggled. We need to remember that this morning. It's par the course of following Jesus to sometimes struggle with what God's will is for your life. But then the question is, in the struggle, what do you do with that? You pray. You need to pray through what God's will is. Here's what our passage says. An angel from heaven came and strengthened him. When I was working through this passage, I had been working through it all week, and, and I was sitting on that verse yesterday afternoon, and I just had to stop. Okay, heaven strengthens us when we pray. If you're not excited about that, check your pulse. Heaven strengthens us when we pray. So Lord, we need his strength to do what he's asked us to do. And he provides it as we pray. But that doesn't mean the struggle is over. Because although this verse is incredibly encouraging, it's also very challenging. Because we find in the next verse that even though he was strengthened, that Jesus was in agony. He prayed so intensely, his sweat became like drops of blood. Jesus was still under an incredible amount of stress even after heaven strengthened him. Heaven was still there, giving him the strength to fulfill the will of the Father. And Jesus' desire was to bring glory to the Father. But fulfilling God's will was an incredibly difficult challenge here. You know, we've talked a lot this past year about the extraordinary life we're offered in Jesus. And we try to make it very clear that extraordinary does not mean easy. Extraordinary living in God's kingdom is not easy living. In fact, it seems fulfilling God's will for our lives is an incredibly difficult task to accomplish. In fact, you cannot accomplish it without supernatural strength. So for us to fulfill God's will for you personally and for us corporately, we need the supernatural strength of heaven to do it. Extraordinary living, it includes suffering and hardship. It's part of following Jesus. You'll see it all throughout the New Testament. We'll get to the book of Acts next year. We're going to see it there. We'll get into the writings of Paul, and we're going to see it there. Hardship is part of our journey with Jesus. And it can be a struggle to make sense of that sometimes. I freely admit that. But we live in a fallen world where everything is not as God intended it to be. But we also live in a world where God can bring all things together for our good, and for his glory. And that needs to encourage us. Things won't be perfect, but they can still be good, no matter what it is. So the question as we look at this passage is, why is it that Jesus is willing to say, although it might not be my will, I want it, if it's yours, I want to walk through that. Why was he willing to suffer? How could he say that? There's a reason. There was a motivator. There was a driver. It was love. Love for you. Love for me. Love for the Father. Jesus understood that his love of the Father required obedience. I've shared before that the love language of God is obedience. Jesus shares, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. How did Jesus learn obedience? I want us to think about this this morning. And I'll tell you right now, if you're new to Connection Point Church, like we're in the deep end of the pool right now. But I also think you can handle it. We've talked through some good things here. 
Jesus learned obedience, not by the things he enjoyed, but by the things he suffered. Jesus learned obedience, not by the things he enjoyed, but by the things he suffered. And the same is true for all of his followers. We learn how to love best by walking through hardship and learning to keep our eyes on Jesus. It's something we have to learn. This is a tough kingdom principle. I know it and I don't say it lightly. And if I'm honest in the flesh, I don't like this truth. But in my spirit, I can't get away from it. While Shelly and I were in, in Florida, we had opportunities. So we were there a month ago on vacation and we had some meetings with friends and, and we got to interact with some of the colleagues we had worked with in Sudan and also in East Jerusalem. And as we were sitting in those meetings, we were kind of debriefing just in our own hearts and minds just those years in our lives, which were hard. Uh, our time in Sudan and, and our time in East Jerusalem, difficult on different levels and in different ways. And, but as we were sitting, especially in one meeting, we got to meet with all of these uh, teachers who had worked with this school that's been in the Middle East for 30 years and to see the faithfulness of God for decades in the lives of students who had gone to the school, but in the lives of teachers who had served there. What I reflected with Shelley after the fact, I said, you know, with enough time and distance from situations, you can look back to see what God is doing, what he has done, and you can appreciate that time in very different ways. You really can. Sometimes it's hard when you're in the thick of things to really appreciate all that God is doing. It really can be hard. But then you can look back, you get enough time and distance, and you look and you're like, man, those were some incredible years. Those are some of the best years of our lives. But here was the challenge the Lord spoke to me in that moment. He said, I'm glad you can see that. But now, we're going to grow you a little bit. So when you face hardship, even in the midst of wherever you're at right now, look then as the best years of your life in that moment. Recognize it in that moment. What my encouragement would be, let's not need time and distance to look back and see the goodness of God. Let's recognize it in the moment to say, God, this is good even when it's hard, so that we can with anticipation say, oh God, this is difficult, but I can't wait to see what you're going to do in it. Lord, help us see what God is doing. And it can be hard sometimes. I'm not going to tell you anything differently. Serving Jesus for things that are meaningful and and where you're really going to see fruit happen is when you walk through some challenging times, but you see God show up, he grows you, and fruit happens. It's an incredible time. We're going to walk through hardship sometimes, but in so doing, God does incredible work. When we were living in Sudan, I was thinking about the the lessons that we really learned there. So we went to Sudan. We were in our late 20s, had a one-year-old. We were learning how to become parents. We were learning what it looked like to do uh, life overseas and lots of lessons to be learned. And it was a hard place to grow in, 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 in that setting. But what we learned there, so I'm going to share share some of the lessons we've learned along the way and why we're so excited about where we're at now. As we look back at those years, we understood what God was helping us understand because part of what God does in those moments of hardship is he's going to help you grow spiritually. He's going to help increase the fruit in your life. And he also wants to show you more of who he is. And part of what we need to learn when things were not good, we were daily on our knees in prayer because it was a challenging environment to be in is even when things don't feel good, that doesn't change the goodness of God. What we had to get corrected is our theology of the sovereignty of God. God is good all the time. 
He might not feel like it, but guess what? He's still good. And if we keep our eyes on him and don't just focus on our circumstances, we'll ride out those situations better. So Lord, help us. So my encouragement to you today is you might find yourself in a place, maybe right now you're in a really tough spot in following God's will. You're being obedient to his will, but it's tough. So I would say, be encouraged. You can receive spiritual strength from above, but we do have to make sure we're dedicated to prayer for that to happen. To keep our eyes on Jesus, we've got to be dedicated to prayer. And I was, I was thinking about for Jesus in this situation. I want to talk about the location where he was. Because we think about the pressure and stress of that moment. Uh, one of the things I love to do when we take people to Jerusalem is to go and sit in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because when you're sitting in that setting and you understand the pressure that he's under, the kind of pressure where he is sweating, says he was, uh, he was in agony and sweating drops of blood. Talk about stress. And he was battling with the will of the Father. And he was battling in a location where he could have had a way of escape. There are always two choices in following God's will. Run or dig in. And Jesus chose to dig in. And aren't we glad he did? He's sitting in the garden at Gethsemane. 20 minute walk to the top of the Mount of Olives. 20 more minutes down into the Judean desert. He's gone. Caiaphas isn't going to find him. Pilate won't get a hold of him. The temple authority would never know where he went. It's not hard. You sit in the Garden of Gethsemane and you look over to see where the Temple Mount would have been. And you know that this was at the nighttime. So Jesus, while he's praying, he's watching the temple come out, temple guard come out with torches. He knows what's about to happen. And he sits and submits to the will of the Father. He doesn't choose the way of escape. And because of it, our lives are forever changed. God needs all of us to say, Jesus, I'm going to dig in. I'm not going to choose a way of escape. Whose life is going to be changed in your network of people because you choose to follow Jesus like that, because you choose to love God that way, to walk in obedience to his will for your life. But I also want to tell you, Jesus didn't arrive at that moment in just one moment. The way that he could endure that one moment, that that stressful, agonizing moment, is that one day he was in obedience to the Father. The next day, he submitted to the Father. And the next day, he submitted to the Father. Everything in his life, it was a daily practice of submitting to the Father for 33 years, which then accumulates to a moment where when he's faced with the most difficult circumstance in life, he can say, oh God, I obeyed you yesterday. I can obey you today, knowing that tomorrow you'll continue to be good. You've got to have daily walking with Jesus, choosing every day to submit your life to him. If you want to arrive at a moment where stress and pressure comes, but you know that you can be found faithful if daily you've chosen Jesus. It's a daily choice. Are you daily choosing to follow Jesus? We've got to learn to be obedient in the small things. We need to make prayer a priority so that heaven might strengthen us for the work that God has for us to do. Because supernatural strength comes from heaven. But for us to receive supernatural strength, we've got to wake up. To have supernatural strength, we must wake up. After Jesus prays under much duress, he goes and he finds the disciples asleep. And our text shares why. It says they were sleeping with sorrow. Some translations say that he felt they were sleeping in grief. You see, the disciples wanted Jesus to come as a military conqueror. 
They wanted Jesus to kick Rome out and to set up and establish an earthly kingdom. And they wanted to sit on thrones with Jesus. That's what their hopes were. They were understanding very quickly that Jesus' kingdom is different. It's not of this world. In fact, it's much bigger than this world. And so now they're wrestling with their expectations of Jesus. Basically, what we find in our text is they're no longer listening to his counsel. May that be a warning to us that we might set up expectations for Jesus and if he doesn't meet those expectations because they're not his, are we still following his counsel or are we now ignoring it? The cost of them ignoring the counsel of Jesus to pray was Peter then does exactly what Jesus said he did. That he'd fall into temptation. He denies Christ. So, even when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, can we still follow his counsel? That's part of the message this morning. But I was thinking about this passage and how they were asleep in sorrow. And it made me wonder how many Christians are in our churches today that have fallen asleep in sorrow because of how godless our country has become. Have they fallen asleep in sorrow because Jesus hasn't come back to clean up the world yet? And what would Jesus say to people who have fallen asleep in sorrow? He would say, rise and pray. He would say, it's time to rise and pray. If we want to see something different in our nation, we want to see something different in our county, it's time to rise and pray. It's only in prayer that God gets his work done in us and in the community in which we live. For Jesus to unleash his kingdom here, we've got to be people of prayer. We've got to be people of prayer. We've got to increase our prayer personally, and we've got to increase our prayer corporately. In July, we had a missions weekend here. Uh, Chris and Carol Martin were here from Morocco, uh, wonderful global partners that, that we've gotten behind. And in first service, they had some guests that were visiting, guests who had been here. They were part of the church in Casablanca, the international church there. They're now serving this couple in Tajikistan. They were actually back on furlough. He's from Indiana. She's actually from Great Britain. And so they were back, and they were here in first service, and in between the two services, they caught me on Main Street. And she, she says, I, I need to share a couple things with you. And I said, well, sure, that'd be great. And, and, and she was asking about the songs we're singing, these songs that, about being the hands and feet of Jesus. She said, these are wonderful songs. She said, but what I want to really tell you is I've been having this ongoing dream. She said, I had it while we lived in Morocco, and I've had it still while we've been in Tajikistan. She said, I would dream... And I would, there was a, a dream of three steeples. I would see these three steeples. And I wasn't really sure what that was, but it would periodically happen both in Morocco and, and then in Tajikistan. And, and she said, another dream connected to it is I would go and try shopping at a market, only there was nothing I could buy there. It was a market where you couldn't buy goods. And she said, last night when we came in to go have dinner with Chris and Carol Martin, we were driving through downtown Lafayette. And I bumped my husband and I said, It's here! Those are the three steeples I've been seeing in my dreams. And she said, so I don't know what that means. She said, but then as we were singing songs, and I, the Lord brought back to my mind the, the market where you could buy no goods, and she said, it's Main Street. She said, I don't know what's happening here, but God is doing something. She said, I'm so excited I could leave the mission field and come live here because I want to see what God's going to do. She said, the word I have for you is this. She said, you guys have been moving towards something and you're standing right on the edge and you're about to cross over into the other side. She said, so whatever it is, keep going. I can't wait to see what happens. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. That edge that we're up against, the only way we cross over the other side is if we become people of prayer. All kingdom movements happen out of a place of prayer. 
All of them. And I know this because we got to see a kingdom movement when we lived overseas. I've shared a little bit of this here, but as we were in the, uh, working in East Jerusalem, part of the struggle for me as we were driving back to Missouri is I knew what was taking off in the Middle East. And I felt like that's an exciting thing to be a part of. Because the last year that we were in East Jerusalem, the summer before we left, there was a man that had, had been in that area for a while, following Jesus, had come out of a, a Muslim background. He had gotten some training in making disciples. And as he was uh, finishing that training, he came back and said, you know what? I, I would really like to see some uh, followers of Islam become followers of Jesus. So that summer, he and his wife wound up baptizing a dozen believers in Jesus' name, which is amazing. In the Muslim world, highly uh, high opposition to the good news. And so then after those dozen believers, they continued to disciple those folks. We were helping to get discipleship materials to them. By the time they got to Christmas of that year, there was 300 believers, people who used to be Muslims now following Jesus. 300 is amazing. So it was an incredible move. But by the time we got to the summer, that when we were coming back, June of 2015, there was 500 believers, people following Jesus, being persecuted for their faith, but being faithful to God. And so my tension was, God, I see what you're doing there, and I feel like we're supposed to be a part of that. Only that wasn't God's plan. And there was a reason for that. And again, you get enough time and distance, you look back and you see, I see what you were doing there. So part of what we got to see is we were seeing that movement unfold. And so the week before we came here, the, the man that we were working with in the Middle East, he'd been there for 30 years in the Jerusalem area. We got to get together, uh, which he's a hard person to track down, but we met up at Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. And I just was asking him, tell me stories, what's happening with the movement today. By the time we got to, we came here in November of 2015, and that was in October of 2015. By the time it got to October, there's 4,000 believers in that movement. And I'll tell you, it's well beyond that at this point. One of the things that we see, there's this incredible convergence of what God is doing through this body and other bodies in our community. Uh, I've been asking this, this mentor of mine to come uh, for four years. And this summer, he called, and it's worked out in his schedule. He's coming at the end of this month. It won't be something we can live stream. You need to be here in person. And he's going to share with you the movement that God has been doing in the Middle East and doing in that part of the world. And it's amazing. But I want you to better understand the excitement for Shelly and I and what we've been communicating the last five, six months is we see those same characteristics here now. God wants to do an incredible work in the greater Lafayette area. You're invited to be a part of that. And the entry point is prayer. That's it doesn't matter what your role is in any other part of this body. doesn't matter if you can walk and pray. All that matters is that you can pray. Everyone can pray. And you're invited to be a part of what God wants to unleash in this greater Lafayette area. The kingdom is coming, and we get to watch it unfold. The results are not up to us. They're always up to God, but it's going to be amazing. And I hope that you're a part of that. A couple of things that we're doing in the way of, obviously we want to encourage you to increase your personal prayer time. You can wake up and pray. You can, you can spend time throughout your day to pray. But we also know we should gather corporately to pray. So starting on September 15th, we want to have three times where you could gather and pray in our prayer room. So I get here early, so 6.15, I'm here 6.15 to 7.15. If you want to wake up early on Sunday, you are welcome to come. I don't expect to see any of you, but you're welcome to come. But that's a time, for those that serve in both services, that's a time where we, we definitely gather and pray. But otherwise, 7.45 to 8.45. So before the first service, you can gather in the prayer room and pray with folks then. 9.15 to 10.15, during the first service, if you want to gather and pray then. 
We want to kind of make it as an opportunity for anyone to dive in. We must increase our personal prayer, but we also must increase our corporate prayer. And that's how you can pray on a weekly basis on Sunday mornings. But then starting in October, we want to do something called First Friday Prayer. We want to gather from 8 p.m. until midnight in this space. We just want to ask the Lord to lift us up as a body in prayer so that we can fulfill what he means to to happen here in his name. So Sunday morning prayer, once a month, half-night prayer starting in October, you're invited. You're invited to be a part of what God is doing here. I think we're going to see some amazing things happen. And I want you to be able to be a part of that. Anyone can pray, and you're invited to be a part. So will you pray? As I was thinking about our service as we close this morning, it seems most appropriate that we would pray. Why talk about prayer and then not pray? But I also know we're all you know, over the place in terms of, of what kind of life of prayer that you have, what kind of praying life you have. So I just want to give you one tool today. If you're new to prayer, a simple way to pray is by using the acrostic acts. So A is adoration. Say, oh Jesus, I love you. We adore your holy name. You just, you, you sing out a, a, a prayer of adoration to Jesus. The next is confession. Oh Lord, wherever your kingdom has not come into my life, I just pray that you would help me to submit to your will in that area. You get into a time of thanksgiving. God, we just thank you for your many provisions. We thank you for what you're doing through the, the people of Connection Point Church. And then the last one of supplication, you put your needs before the Lord. Whatever your personal needs are, needs for our, our nation. Oh God, be with the families that are dealing with loss in Texas today. You can put before the needs of, of the world. So simple four things to pray for if you're new to prayer. And we're just going to do that. We're just going to take a few moments and close that way. And the music team's going to come and close us out in song. But I invite you, you can pray in your seat. You can turn around and kneel in your seat if that's a posture of prayer you want to take. You can come up and pray in the front steps. But let's just take a few moments and close out our time in prayer this morning.